Hello and welcome to this Bioanalysis Zone podcast. I am Naima Mondral, Senior Editor of Bioanalysis Zone and today I'm delighted to be joined by Christophe Eberly, Principal Scientist at Charles River Laboratories. So firstly, Christophe, could you introduce yourself and explain your experience with flow cytometry? Absolutely. Good morning first. My name is Christoph Eberle and currently I am working as principal scientist with Charles River Laboratories at its site located in Worcester, Massachusetts. Though I have been utilizing flow cytometry over nine years at almost every stage of drug development but phase three trials, I became an enthusiastic flow cytometrist in somewhat of a roundabout way. Initially, I actually trained as biochemist and molecular biologist And during my scientifically formative years, this exposed me to a depth and diversity of research methods and uh, concepts. Throughout my graduate programs, I increasingly focused then on natural product synthesis and its applicability in material science and finally graduated with a PhD in organic chemistry. However, I subsequently did not continue with career paths in industry or academia, which would be common for synthetic chemists. Instead, I got introduced en passant to immunology and particularly flow cytometry-based testing for diagnostic purposes. This coincided with my tenure at the full-service central laboratory of the University Medical Center Göttingen in northern Germany. From clinical diagnostics then, I moved on to specializing in flow cytometry applications, which now grow in demand alongside the field of immuno-oncology. So next, what are your current research focuses? At Charles River, we are contracted to deliver research services for diverse clientele coming from biotech startups, pharmaceutical companies, academic or governmental institutions, respectively. So correspondingly, in our day-to-day work, we 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 can get exposed to a variety of methodologies and experimental programs. Specifically, our research work and ad hoc scientific consulting focuses on the current facets of immuno-oncology with questions revolving around tumor immunology to immunotherapy, drug resistance, and effective combination treatments. Besides that, the company has integrated many different service lines with a global reach. These support all major therapeutic areas through each phase of drug research and development. Though a continuum, this process still varies from product to product. And could you describe how you use flow cytometry and what are the advantages and disadvantages of the technique? Yes, sure. Flow cytometry is rightfully praised as versatile instrument platform which offers rapid multiparametric characterization of different cell types. And because millions of cells are counted, it provides sufficient statistical power. The way currently used in our laboratory space only showcases some applications that are possible. At our testing site, ex vivo analysis using flow cytometry is embedded in early research services to support novel drug discovery and characterization. Our local pharmacology team currently runs approximately 110 in vivo mouse studies per year using validated syngenic and humanized models to help assessing the efficacy of candidate anti-cancer agents. These experimental dosing regimens are largely exploring whether 
and how an immune response can be triggered that effectively can stop and shrink tumors. Now researchers are understanding better the immune system's contribution to many pathogenesis, including cancer. It is known that tumor cells can well avoid being recognized and destroyed by an immune response. Intervening to reset the so-called cancer immunity cycle is therefore at the core of many new therapeutic strategies. Primarily, we process specimen from selected study mice for immunophenotyping by flow cytometry to characterize the tumor microenvironment and specifically changes in the number of its leukocyte infiltration under variable dose administrations of novel IO agents. So we routinely profile the lymphoid and myeloid compartment within this environment, which is kept immunosuppressive to support tumor growth. Naturally occurring tumor infiltrating leukocytes or TILs exhibit anti-cancer activity. They are extensively studied because they are considered valuable both as a prognostic factor and potential therapeutic target. Now, on the one hand, to assure the best possible data quality, we process fresh tissue and body fluid samples since we need to phenotype viable cells, even if the samples are fixed during the staining procedure. Therefore, sample stability post-processing and post-fixation is limited, but both parameters are important to assess. On the other hand, we cannot tell morphological features of stained cells and where those would have been localized within a tissue architecture because the structure is broken down to bring single cells in suspension for flow cytometric analysis. The latter one allows real-time, high-throughput identification of the frequency of major immune cells and subsets depending on which pre-selected surface and intracellular antigen markers were bound by the antibody fluorophore conjugates that were used for detection. And Christoph, what are the challenges you face with using flow cytometry? Flow cytometric methods have been categorized as relative and quasi-quantitative. That is, readouts from unknown samples cannot be compared to a calibration standard with a known quantity of the test analyzed. So what remains particularly challenging is to tackle the lack of reference material suitable for measurements by flow cytometry. For assessing its accuracy, there are only substitute solutions as of now. For our purposes, we need to timely adapt assay development to different project needs, which are exploratory in nature. But within these scopes, we do not need to produce and document all the evidence with the stringency required to complete bioanalytical method validation. Achieving this is generally costly and time-intensive. The key concept described in the current literature is called fit for purpose, which has been translated to flow cytometric methods as well. However, we typically design and optimize a panel, but often do not go beyond titrating antibodies and running a small scale precision study to get an understanding of assay variability. If possible, we try to include recombinantly engineered detection antibodies, which work well in some of our experiments to obtain a stable signal. Besides analytical limitations specific to flow cytometry, analyzing datasets that are generated from phenotyped samples can be another source of variability. No universally acceptable approach is in place that is to be followed. 
So some may argue it therefore resembles more an art, as the data analyst can take a lot of freedom to place gates for identifying target cells. Certainly, the analyst's educational background and subject matter expertise plays a role more than before, since mark analysis is no longer limited to standard immune populations like TB and K cells. Most multicolor panels are now customized to also characterize very specific, very rare subsets. Taken together, all these factors require ongoing training for qualified analysts to be aware of the underlying biology, to know how to include appropriate controls, and how to apply propagating strategies for consistent results across experiments. And how do you think the field can be regulated and standardized? This need has been recognized and expert panels initiated technical and scientific discussions to answer the question of what good flow cytomatic practices should be, how these are to be maintained and implemented. The field already has been moving towards standardization and self-regulation in general and particularly when guiding method validation critical in decision-making on biomarkers and pharmacodynamics of new therapeutics. Various professional societies led an initial consensus which will be refined as regulatory government agencies are weighing in on these matters. However, while waiting for official guidance documents, we presently must rely on a few white papers and most of the recommendations by the ICSH-ICCS Working Group. Published in 2013, these references instruct on all practical aspects of the flow cytometric workflow, from sampling to post-acquisition data analysis. Besides that, requests for minimum information about the flow cytometry experiment have been compiled and promoted. These measures complement similar efforts to help verifying reported data independently. To me, both benchmarks provide checklists for developing each laboratory's own methodology to avoid pitfalls in setting up multiplex fluorescence assays. So finally, where do you hope this field will be in five to ten years' time? Recently, the World Health Organization incorporated flow cytometry in its model list of essential in vitro diagnostics. To me, this underlines this platform's relevance for primary patient care, and I hope to see more recognition beyond its status as sophisticated research tool. Though being known for more than 50 years, fluorescence-based flow cytometry regains momentum in the new era of immunotherapies we just entered. But not just immunology-focused researchers have turned to this technology. The frontier of flow cytometry applications is expanding. Which role mass cytometry will play in all of this remains open. The underlying technology is entirely different as it is based on elemental mass spectrometry. For utilizing this way of detection cells, or of detecting cells, cells are attacked with heavy metal isotopes instead of fluorescent dyes, therefore eliminating the problem of spectral overlaps. Clearly, there are inherent analytical advantages in terms of accuracy and signal-to-noise ratio. But instrument purchase costs are extremely high and the data output per experiment is difficult to analyze quickly. Another technology potentially competing with flow cytometry is known as chip cytometry. 
Using up to 100 markers, it allows specimen to be phenotyped and banked on the same microfluidic chip. Because tissue and cell suspension samples can be preserved for reanalysis after being stored for months. It's always daring to envision what the future holds to predict which tool will become important or not. Though being challenged by the alternative platforms mentioned, I still believe we will not witness flow cytometry becoming obsolete and phased out from applied research. A lot will depend on how the technology can advance to become more quantitative. Ultimately, the more accurately measurements by flow cytometry can be performed, the more valuable its results can be for the users relying on them. May it be a clinician, may it be, may it be a drug developer or a food safety technician. Going forward, it will be essential that data sets can be considered valid, that is fully reproducible irrespective of who, where, and on which benchtop flow cytometer these were generated. Great. Thank you, Christoph, for sharing with us your insights into flow cytometry. You can find more resources on flow cytometry at www.bioanalysis-zone.com. Thanks for listening.